Yeah, favorite foods slash foods you wouldn't eat or even have access to if you didn't homestead. So that's going to be the topic. So for everyone listening, a lot of the times we kind of just think of a topic on the day of or right before I hit record sometimes. So what episode we're at? We're at episode 19. We're almost at 20. First, we're going to talk about our week and then we'll get into... uh, a food topic, which is the reason, I mean, food's the reason why we're all doing this, right? Right, sir. <laughs> so who has, who has anything exciting to share? I guess I can go first. A little bit, a little bit exciting. All right, so uh, anybody who watches our vlogs probably picked up that the plague swept through our house last week, and uh, we, uh, we had to postpone our chicken butchering. <laughs> it, uh... It was all right. Um, I'm going to have one bag of feed left, uh, pushing butchering chickens a week. And with these chickens, like it's not that big of a deal if they grow a little bit bigger because they're kind of slow growing. Um, but aside from that, I was the only one who didn't get it. Oddly enough, it made its way through the house. If you hear hacking in the background, it's you know one of the kids or Meg. Um, it was just it was just a cold. You know, I'm just. Not feeling good, snotty, rundown, all that kind of good stuff. Well, uh, outside of that, there was a lot of uh, cleaning and, you know, getting everything ready. We've got our, aside from the chicken butchering that's going to go on this week, we've got three pig butchering classes coming up. The first of which is in about a week and a half. It's on November 11th, 10th and 11th. Uh, and I'm basically, you know, we're going to put these pigs in the freezer anyways. And so we decided it would be kind of cool if we could host a class and show people how to do this. I know that when I was, when we first got out here and I was learning how to do this, you have to make yourself a hand. You have to really, if you want to learn it, be available. And that was what I did. We went to people's houses. We barely even knew if they were butchering a pig just so I could get my, my hands dirty. So yeah, uh, it's kind of an opportunity to give back a little bit. Um, we're feeding people and stuff like that. So it's going to be, it's going to be a fun weekend. Uh, and then this weekend, you know, obviously by like Friday, Saturday, we were all starting to feel a little bit better and we got to go to, uh, it's maybe about an hour from here. There's this historical village uh, called Hart Square. It is a... Uh, like a historical reenactment. Basically, they've saved uh, old houses from all over the state uh, from, you know, the 1800s type era. Uh, Picked them up brick by brick, board by board, and relocated them to this property. And it's it's really cool. And so you can become a member and you can go see the buildings anytime you want. Or once a year, they do an event on a day and everybody goes. And we went, there's probably about 5,000 people there. It was a busy day. Uh, I've never seen so many like folk bluegrass bands in my life. Uh, Just about every other house in this place, there was a separate band of people sitting there playing bluegrass music. Like it was, it was amazing. It has such a cool atmosphere. Every, everybody's burning a fire, uh, either cooking something or just just that wood smoke smell through the whole village just really gives a really nice ambiance. So yeah, that's pretty much it. That's what we got to go do this weekend. It was really cool. We had a lot of fun. 
Yeah, and I was there at the same event. <laughs> um, I, I should have mentioned so, that. I was going to let you. Yeah, that was so fun. Um, that's the first time we, we had went to that. Even I mentioned it to like some people local after that. Like, hey, have you been to that event? And like, no one, everyone that I've talked to, they've never heard of it. Hmm. And I'm like, man, this is like, like I hope I could go every year. And uh, but they had this. Um, I never seen anything like it. You know, you've seen like these, you know, two man cross cut saws. You know, I'm, I'm sure you've seen them out. Um, they got two handles at both ends, and then you just go back and forth. Yep. Like we see them going like left to right, but I've never seen one going vertical, like up and down. Um, but they had one. It was like a pit where someone's in this pit, like almost like uh, they're working on a car. Um, and then another guy's on top of the wood, and they're just going up and down. One's on the in the pit, like pulling down, and the other one's pulling up. Um, that was ripsaw. So I saw I've never that, seen a ripsaw like, either. And I was like, man, this would be cool to just, I wonder if they'll let me try it. And so I was like, hey, you mind if I try this? <laughs> and everyone's just kind of staring at him, watching him do it. And I was like, can I, can I try this? And I honestly didn't think he, they would say yes. You know, they probably wouldn't let anybody try it because there's a sharp saw, you know. <laughs> and, and he looked at me and was like, you want to try this? Are you sure? And I was like, yeah, if I can, I think that, yeah, if I can. And he's like, sure, come on in. And then he let me in and, and uh, he didn't let me get on the top, do the top one, but he's like, you got to get in the bottom. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and that's where all the, the sawdust can't, comes down all in my face. But so I tried it for a little bit and it was, it was pretty cool. Like just to try it. Cause where else are you going to try something like that? Exactly. Hey, no joke. Yeah. And, we hadn't I mean, we hadn't had, run into him yet, and when Jason shows up, he's covered in sawdust. I was like, "What the heck did you do?" And he's like, "They let me use the saw." <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. I was gonna ask if you got covered in the sawdust, and it sounds like you did. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And those guys were there all day, like just demonstrating it, like just doing it. Wow. Um, so it was pretty. I mean, there was all kinds of demonstrations, like making apple butter. Uh, uh, cider. They had like a moonshine section. Um, I mean, all kinds of stuff. I I bet you, I don't know. It would have been cool to like if I would have planned it to go around and see how many things that they'll let me do. Right. <laughs> but besides that, um, I've been taking a deep dive. I've been going down the rabbit hole. Uh oh. Of. Of fencing. Fencing. <laughs> the wild world of fencing. Mm. I mean, I'm I'm driving down the street and I'm noticing, hey, that's a good fence. You know, stopping and taking a picture of it. <laughs> I'm like, yep. uh, because I've been wanting to do this fencing project at our place. And it's like, it seems just it's like a huge project. But trying to figure it out like what kind of fencing how it works it seems something so simple because you, you just look at a fence you're like oh that's a nice fence but the all the little things that go into it of like tightening it mm -hmm. you know make sure it looks nice like the little tools that you could buy to help you do it i mean it's just so insane so i've been trying to i think i got it to where i can finally start 
a woven wire fence at this little section that I have. And it's actually a section where uh, some dogs, if they do come in, they'd be coming in this spot. So I want to maybe start there. It's kind of like a smaller section. So maybe I'm kind of treating it as like a, a test run, kind of like practice. Because mm. if I mess it up or what, or it take longer, it, you know, that's okay. Right. <laughs> but yeah. it's such a, I don't know. It's so involved. I mean, you could get it. You could be as, I guess, simple and as complicated as you can make it. But so, if you have woven wire and it's like your lands on contour, and if you want to keep the woven wire down to the ground, they make I think they call them earth anchors, and it's like a cable that you you put on the top or the bottom of the fence, and you drive the cable into the ground, so it'll keep the bottom part of the cable of the of the fence touching the ground, so that way, like a dog or something can't get under the fence. Okay. See, I didn't even know about that. I didn't until we had some fence done at the old homestead. I was like, what are they doing? That's what he was like. Oh, it's a good idea. So that way nothing can dig under it. You know, if you hit lands hilly and stuff. So, right. I'm probably going to need that. Um, yeah, the section that I'm going to start off is fairly flat, so yeah. I shouldn't need it there, but yeah, it's so crazy. I mean, it sounds like a simple thing fencing, but I mean, luckily I have half of it's up already. I mean, the posts, you know, that I have for the, the horse fence that they had. So in that aspect, it's already there. But Do you know how much, have... like how many feet you need to do? Have you like measured out? Well, I'm debating of how, how, how many, um, woven wire. I'm, I don't think I'm gonna do the whole thing woven wire, Okay. but I might need, I don't know, at least four rolls. So yeah. what are they? 330 feet per roll. Something like that. I'm kind, I'm also kind of mentally preparing myself <laughs> for all the, uh, uh, the fencing police comments. <laughs> <laughs> They'll figure out what you're From doing wrong. All the lovely comments that we, <laughs> I know. I know. I'm sure I'm going to get blasted with, I'm doing this, I'm doing a horrible job comments or I'm doing this wrong and I need to go back to California comments. Gosh. <laughs> do you get stuff like that a lot? I do. I mean, I wouldn't say like a ton, but yeah. Enough. Especially if you're doing a project like that, I can see where there's a lot of knowledgeable people out there and they see me doing it. They're like, yeah, this guy, you know, like they want you to be a professional right away. I think a lot uh -huh. of people comment too, just watch other YouTube videos and they're like, Hey, I watched it this way and this is how they did it. So that's the way you have to do it. Yeah. Yes. I think that's a lot of it. Armchair quarterbacks. Yeah. Yes. They're YouTube smart, like <laughs> book smart, but real life, they have never done it. <laughs> Correct. Yep. We've actually gotten a comment one time about pigs and they said, you know, I don't have pigs, but you're doing it wrong. And like, I could have just framed that and put it on the wall as the example right there. Yes. I told Lorraine today, I was like, you know what? I'm going to come out with like a, a book of like <laughs> called like, uh, all, all the, all the negative comments I got from my YouTube channel <laughs> and then turn it into an audio book. <laughs> and it's just me saying all the comments. <laughs> Man, that's feeding the trolls. You got to watch out. I know. I know. 
<laughs> so how about you, Al? What's going on? So we've been working on installing our solar system. So we got that all installed and up and running. This time we worked with Grid Down. So they teamed up with who we have in our house, which is a Lion Energy Sanctuary System. So it's the inverters and the batteries. So Grid Down made their company and they went with Lion Energy and they have um, EMP shields. So the system is pretty much like bomb proof. So an EMP shield that it's like to protect from EMP blast, but there's more to it than that. The EMP shield protects from lightning. So say like if your house gets a lightning strike, it'll protect your house and everything like your electrical panel in your house and everything that's in your house from the electrical strike, which is kind of cool. It takes the box is like, I don't know, it's like an outlet size box. I don't know how exactly it works, but that'll take the blast and that'll get ruined by like lightning or an EMP shield or something like that. And then you just replace that box. And then, so we installed that. That was kind of a little, little different, little technical. Cause we had the batteries. We did two inverters. We did the 40 solar panels the week before, and then we did all of the EMP shields. We installed one for the workshop like everything inside the workshop is covered and then every solar panel string gets its own so if like the solar panels get struck by lightning this will absorb that and the solar panels don't go out and then we did another one for the generator so that won't get affected but so now is this kinda, the same emp to... shield as like the guys that you hear ads for empshield.com i think is there thing is that the same people yeah nice Yep, same people. So it's kind of well, like I think their thing is like a lot of people think of it as like an EMP blast. So like, like what do you need that for? But EMP blasts could happen, but solar flares happen. And the big one I think is lightning strikes. You know, so it's like I guess the way to look at it is it's a big surge protector. So if anything happens, it'll it'll absorb that surge, and then it's junk. Like you got to throw it away. Um, I think it's like fifty bucks, and they'll you send them fifty bucks, and they'll send you a new one. If anything gets damaged, you get like up to $25,000. They have like a $25,000 insurance policy on it. So it's kind of cool. Yeah, it's excellent. But then they, I was reading reading some stuff and they were saying that the EMP shield like works both directions. Like it'll cover everything in your house, but it also covers like outside. So they said they've had stuff that has gotten struck by lightning and the transformer outside the house was struck, but it was saved because the EMP shield absorb the lightning strike so that the town or the, the city, whoever had the electrical department didn't have to replace the transformer, which is kind of interesting. So I got to learn a lot more about solar and just kind of like protecting your components. So it's kind of pretty interesting. Now we have power out to the workshop, which will be nice so we can be doing projects inside. I've actually been really wanting gonna... to put one of those on my house. The EMP shield? Yeah. Yeah, I just yes. on the list of things to do. I just haven't got to it yet. Pretty simple for any of it, but on the house, you just install it on your. You put an extra breaker in your your circuit breaker box. You wire that up. You wire one to the ground, and then you wire one to your neutral, and then it covers everything in the panel and then everything in your house. I was impressed with how simple they were. I got to do a lot of learning. So the lot the grid down has their own kind of like 
training videos you can take. So like you can order your system for the Lion Energy solar part, and then you take like all the training videos so you know how to install it. So if you want to install the system, you need to take the training videos or you can have somebody else install it. But the cool thing is, is you can still take the videos even if you're not installing it because just because you hire somebody to install something or have an electrician do something doesn't mean they're going to do it right. So if you already know what it's supposed to look like, you can kind of know and be like, wait a minute, you didn't do that right. Or that doesn't look as nice as it should kind of thing. You get to be that customer if you hire it. I had a company, there's a solar company that's supposed to come out this week at, and I'm supposed to talk to. Tell me what you guys think. Basically, it, it would, like say I would run everything off of solar it would take instead of me paying the power company a monthly bill i would pay them until the till it's paid off do like yeah the best thing i don't know if that's the best thing yeah just buy all your panels and do it yourself yep. buy your batteries your batteries are the most expensive part but right. i mean then you can you can be truly right. off grid then if you want rather than you know, systems like that, you're still tied to the grid. And most of the time, the extra energy that right. you don't use just goes back on the grid. And then you use grid power overnight. So I'm not a big fan of systems like that. Right. The only thing I don't like about those systems, too, is if you lose power, you have solar panels on your roof that's still making power. But if, if like, whatever grid you're tied to, if they go out of power, you don't have power because that's feeding the grid and not your house. So you're still without power. Yep. Or if See, you that's something battery. I would talk to him about. I mean, that's yeah. what kind of I was thinking of getting it for uh, in case uh, we lose power. Mm -hmm. And that would be the backup. Right. Instead of getting, I guess that would be instead of getting like a generator. But I don't know. They're supposed to come out and I'm supposed to talk to them about it. And see you what would still want a battery system and inverter so that way you can charge that and have the power storage. Otherwise, if you lose power, you won't be able to run off the, just the solar panels. Oh, right. It's the batteries. It's the batteries and the inverters. Yep. Otherwise, you're just basically what you're doing is you're just putting this, you're putting the solar panels on your house and you're comping what you use for energy and solar and selling it to the power, the power company. Basically, your meter runs backwards and pays your bill off that way. So the best of both worlds is is to have the batteries the inverters and be hooked to the grid so when your batteries are full and you're not using power you can sell whatever you're not from your solar back to the power company then you can kind of pay off your batteries and inverters and make money in the end yeah that's where it's at right there they'll probably be trying to just sell you on the panels getting installed on your roof i bet you that's where they make their money yeah because the way i look at it i'm still like i got a monthly bill mm -hmm. right right so whether i'm paying, paying I'm paying a different person. Right. You're different paying company. a solar company. And they're making money somehow because otherwise they wouldn't do it if they weren't making money off of it. I mean, they, of course, want me to do a video about it. <laughs> yep. So I'm like, well, what's in it? Like, what? <laughs> what's in it for me? <laughs> they want advertising. <laughs> right. I mean, they're going to get more out of it than me. I mean, I still got to pay, pay something. <laughs> right. So I don't know. We'll see what they say, but... So let's get into the topic. Um, so if there's any foods that we wouldn't eat, or I guess there's certain foods that we've ate being in this homestead space 
or growing our own food than if we weren't. I think we eat a lot more of a lot of food that we wouldn't normally eat or have as much access to. We weren't in the homesteading and growing our own food realm. So, so it's uh, like the craziest food you've tried. That's what I want to know mm, first. That would have to be sheep testicles. <laughs> sheep testicles. Never had the sheep testicles. Honestly, yeah, I would agree with that. I was, I was there. I was there yeah. too. <laughs> yeah, Jason was there too. Uh, they really kind of tasted like a an undercooked McDonald's chicken nugget. Like that's that's the best yeah. way to describe it. Were they cooked? Yeah, they were, were fried. Were they fried? Yeah, they're fried. Yeah, they it was fried. like a chicken mc. Yeah, like a like a chicken, chicken McNugget nugget. almost. Yeah, mm. missing the breading. Yeah, the breading was all right, but yeah, the, like a. The squishy texture just like wasn't... soggy. Yeah, because I just think about it, and it still gives me chills. It's kind of like eating oysters, you know, you slogging back an oyster and just let it slide down your throat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Probably wouldn't have ever I mean, tried that. It didn't taste back bad. in suburbia. It didn't taste bad. Put some ketchup on it. You would never know. You would never know. <laughs> I was gonna say pig brain, but I guess I've never tried any testicles, so. Pig brain like blood sausage. That's kind of the weirdest stuff. I don't think I've tried brains. Yeah, I've I don't tried, think I've tried, tried brains. brains either. We did it with mm -mm. brains with scrambled eggs is how we cooked it. There's a different That's texture. classic right there. But it wasn't bad. Have you guys done blood sausage? Oh, yeah. Blood sausage is, it's all right. Like, I, I'm not going to go out of my way to make different. blood sausage. But, yeah, it's definitely different. Yeah. Um, and depending on how you season it, it can either be, it can be anything you want it to be. Right. Uh, it's, it's kind of a cool old world food stuff. I've had that at, um, hand hewn class at your place, Ben, they made it the blood sausage. Yep. Um, it was good. It, it tastes to me, it tastes just like sausage. Cause they had like spices in it and it was kind of a little bit spicy. I think it's just a different uh, texture kind of. Yeah. Putting the texture i guess yeah i feel like with food it's like a lot of it's mental <laughs> yeah i think so yeah for sure you know i i would say i haven't we haven't we haven't ate it yet but that uh two-year-old ham that's hanging in our kitchen that that yep. might top the uh the testicles right <laughs> have you guys gotten to one I've, yet ben i've never ate one no actually we just weighed these uh I think it was Friday. I think that's when we did it. Um, these guinea hog hams that are literally sitting, you know, an arm's reach away from me right now, uh, they have stalled out losing weight. Um, we're aiming for that, you know, 40% weight loss and we're stalled out at like 25, 30, uh, which from what I understand means that the outside has hardened too hard and is stopping the inside from drying any further. So we're going to have to probably carve into them to open up a new area for them to start losing moisture through. But I promise you, we're going to eat these yep. things probably New Year's. I mean, that's the two-year mark is right around, you know, New Year's. Uh, yeah. At, like Jason said a minute ago, I would say the prosciuttos, stuff like that, the cured cured meats are probably something that 
outside of maybe buying one of those little like snack packs you can get at the grocery store that's got like five slices of prosciutto and you know five slices of copa and stuff like that outside of that uh charcuterie is just too expensive um being able to do it ourselves like it, it has opened up an entire world of things that were just too expensive for us to enjoy on a regular basis but now the store-bought prosciutto, is that a real, like, natural cured prosciutto? I don't think it is. I don't think they legally no. can cure so that way. You can, you can buy cured prosciutto, but it's going to be all full of nitrates. It's going to be full of stuff that makes it for sure safe. Um, I was watching a video the other day. Did you know that you can order, uh, like, whole legs prosciuttos off of amazon like you can get when two year uh some of them come from spain some of them you know unless it tells me the country of origin i don't know if i'd be buying it off of amazon that's a little bit interesting but yeah, yeah I, I thought that was kind of interesting you can buy prosciuttos like the whole leg plus the stand on amazon it just seems kind of wild. I don't know. Like in a weird way, it almost seems like. I'm oh gosh. Prosciutto. <laughs> He's looking it up Let's right see. now. I'm gonna see if I can find one. Let's see. I mean, I, I saw some from fifty dollars all the way up to six hundred dollars. So just take your pick. But four, yeah, four pound cut is eighty bucks. A twelve pound one, you're looking at one hundred and sixty. And then you got one here with the stand and everything. It's two oh four. That's uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw one of those. He held up a for people listening. He held up his phone with the picture of a prosciutto from Amazon with a stand. Like I mean, can't I almost can't beat There's that deal, month, right? Eighteen month average curing time. Great family and friend gift. But yeah, where where did it come from? How much was that one? Uh, Two hundred five. Wow. With the hand, with the stand and knife. Ah. I mean, so we uh we had a lone saw. Salmon. Yeah, it looks pretty good. Um, we had some lonces. A lonce is basically a uh, uh, the uh, the loin um, that you you age it just like you know any other cut. You uh, you cure it and then you wrap it and hang it and let it dry age. Um, and you just treat it just like you would a copa or the uh, prosciutto. Well, we had a couple of them that we forgot about that were in the fridge in the cure and one of them the vacuum seal had broken and the thing molded well we uh we talked to doug and andy the hand hewn guys and they're they're like oh yeah it's fine you just you know wash it in vinegar and or wine and scrub off all the the mold and then you can wrap it and dry it well sitting there on the counter meg wrapped them the other day and yeah, there's the ones that are they're just in cure and they're ready to be wrapped they smell okay like they smell delicious like a piece of marinated meat but when she got this one that was moldy all cleaned up and was ready to start wrapping it it had the most beautiful smell like almost like like a fine cheese like it had such this like amazing textured smell to it I can't wait until that thing is dried enough for us to eat. That's going to be quite an experience. 
Like I'm, I'm really looking forward to that one. Is that another two year? No, the Copas, they can be ready in a, two year a, a few months. Year yeah. We had a, a Copa we did in, well, I guess that was January. Um, we did it with the hand hewn guys and it was probably ready at the six month mark. Uh, we just cut into it the other day cause I pulled okay. it down. It's like, let's, let's weigh it and see if it's ready. And it was way past ready. That thing was like a, a brick, but we bought a new deli slicer, like a nice one. And you get that thing set right. And it carves off I'm, this thing's so hard. It feels like plastic. That's how hard this Copa is. Well, when you start <laughs> carving off those nice thin slices, oh man, it was so good. And it was a hot Copa. We made it spicy. And so, you know, you pop that super thin slice of meat on your tongue and wait for it to, you know, come to life in your mouth. Oh man, I'm starting to drool just thinking about it. That was, it was quite an experience. Now just eat it plain. You eat it with crackers, bread, or... Uh, this particular one, we uh, we got into all of our Copas. What was that, Friday? Yeah, I think it was Friday. We uh, Since we were wrapping lonzas and dealing with that stuff, and I started slicing up the, uh, the Copas, I pulled out all of the Copas that we have that are ready. And the first two Copas we did two years ago, the same time, they're from the pigs that are these hams that are hanging in our kitchen. We've only got maybe like an inch and a half of each copa left and we're we're saving them <laughs> we're actually we put a moratorium on copa eating until new year's because we do a, a huge charcuterie board every new year's <laughs> and like we want to eat yeah. our copas too it's kind of crazy two years worth of copas that they just keep because they're cured and you can cut off a chunk of meat anytime you want and it's when you're done with it just you know put it back in the bag like, I think that's that's incredible. That's the whole reason. Once they're cut open, we just put them back in a vacuum bag in the fridge. Um, in the fridge. They, uh, they're already cured, so you don't have to worry about, uh, you know, anything really happening to them. You don't want them to, like, get sweaty. But generally, like, it's a shelf-stable food. And the whole point of curing is once you cure it, you don't have to worry about you know, salmonella or botulism or anything like that. This, uh, this one area of food right here is like the reason we raise pigs. Uh, it's a way to preserve your meat so you can have it without having refrigeration if you need to, you know, uh, all these old methods of keeping meat. This is why we are into the food that we're into. Now the two-year-old copas, what kind of pigs are those from? The the two-year-old were a couple guinea hogs. And then the one we just cut into was that mangalitsa. And it was the boar. It was actually from Bubbles. Um, and okay. the boar, like there is a smell to the meat. But in a nice seasoned up aged copa, it's got a very complex flavor that is quite delicious. Like, it's amazing. I wish I could mail you a couple slices of copa. All those things never would have ate if we weren't living this lifestyle for sure. Um, I can think of uh, eating raw liver. Prior to us moving out here and growing our own stuff, I, I would buy 
liver at um, the local uh, pasture-raised uh, farm, and I would throw the raw liver in a smoothie and have it that way. So, but like butchering that. a cow, <laughs> I mean, you don't nope. taste it at all within it when it's in the smoothie. Mm. <laughs> but you know, we've butchered a cow. I don't know if you were there, Ben, at Justin's. Uh, Brandon there was a farmstead meatsmith. And he were like taking pieces from the liver and just eating it. Uh, pretty sure I never would have done that before. <laughs> yeah, I'm not really into eating while it's warm. I'm not into. I don't know. I, I'll, I'll eat a lot of stuff, but I, just it, eating it fresh off the animal just seems weird. Yeah, that beef liver. It it tasted uh, sweet. It almost kind of tastes like cheese. Really. Uh, even that's what, uh, Brandon was saying too. Once you put it in the freezer, it gives it a different taste, a different flavor. But if you have it fresh, like I guess the day you butcher it, then it's going to have a sweeter taste to it, which is, you know, I didn't know that you're not going to eat the whole liver on the day of you're going to freeze it. You're like, yeah, everyone does that, but that is definitely something interesting. You you wouldn't eat unless you were homesteading. Oh yeah. Or hunting. I've never had liver. I think that's just a mindset thing. I've never had any kind I shouldn't say that. I've had liver in like freeze-dried pill forms, but I've never eaten liver and I don't think I I don't know. Just yeah, definitely I grew up not eating that stuff, so it's definitely a a mental thing and I think food like you were saying Jason definitely just like a mental thing, but what's the like the meat thing you guys like the meatloaf you guys make with your pigs? What's that called again? Cuz we did that and I can't remember the name of it. Oh, Scrapple. Uh, Scrapple. I would never have tried that before if we weren't harvesting our own pigs, but that was good. Where you boil all like the head meat and everything and mm-hmm. make a delicious meatloaf. Yeah, Scrapple's pretty good. Yeah, no too. way would I buy that at the store. No. What what's the, the regional one we have down here? Livermush? Have you tried Livermush? Jason? Yeah, Livermush. Yeah, well yeah. we made it, but I've never actually bought it. Yeah, I Anytime I've seen it at the store anywhere, it's just like, you know, it's a white label. It's like the store made it kind of thing. And it does not look appealing. It's gray and just, it looks gross. Uh, People swear up and down that our, uh, the meatloaf thing that Meg makes is just liver mush. And it's like, well, liver mush is made with what? Rice and liver. And this is made with meat scraps and corn, cornmeal. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I haven't been able to bring myself to try the uh, the regional delicacy that is uh, liver mush. When we made ours, we didn't use cornmeal, I don't think. I think ours was just meat packed with a broth that was super gelatinized. So it that sounds more like head cheese. Cooled off. It was like a, a Camus head cheese. And that's kind of like a, it kind of, when he's cut into it, it almost looks kind of like a fruitcake. You know, you gotta yeah, that's chunks of that's definitely head cheese. I love head cheese. We're gonna be making that out of this first pig we're doing. We're doing some head cheese. The biggest Sorry. difference between head cheese and scrapple would just probably be the cornmeal. Yeah, pretty much. Um, the head cheese, like you, you want all that gelatin. You can cook the trotters in with like you know the face meat and stuff like that. Um, whereas the right 
yeah, the scrapple is kind of like you cook the meat down and you beat it up until it's just super fine shreds. And then you, you mix it with cornmeal and cook that down until it's kind of like a gelatinous cornmeal mush kind of thing. And then you let it solidify into a sliceable loaf and then fry it in a pan. So head cheese, I've only ever eaten it cold. Like you slice it off cold and you eat it cold. I mean, I still remember this was only, uh, you know, I was 30 years old buying our first whole chicken, pasture raised chicken at a farm and it never, never uh, cooked a whole chicken before. And that was weird. That wasn't that long ago. And now how many whole chickens do you cook a week? That's the truth. That was so foreign. I was like, how do you even cook this big bird? We had no idea. How about the first time butchering your own bird? You remember that? I do. <laughs> Feels like I yesterday. Right. I put rubber gloves on my first time. I didn't want to stick my hand up in that carcass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Me too. What about uh, vegetables? Have you grown anything that you don't typically, uh, that you never like, and hey, we never bought this at the store or something, or you never would? I would say we use a lot more garlic since we grow it ourselves because mm. it's a lot more affordable when you grow it yourself versus... You go to the store, garlic's pretty expensive. Yeah, I would say it's not so much variety of vegetables, it's quantity. Um, like, there's no yeah. way we ever yeah. would have wound up with two or 300 pounds of sweet potatoes or pumpkins or squash or stuff like that <laughs> like we do now. I, I, I don't see that happening. But, you know, on the flip side, we feed most right. of it to the animals and we only eat a small amount of it. But... I mean, I can count on probably one hand how many times we bought a pumpkin from the store and brought it home and ate it. Like, that just wasn't something that happened. Like, maybe, like, the odd butternut squash or something like that every now and then. But, yeah, like, I have a shed full of pumpkins or, uh, uh, what are they, uh, trombuccino. They're kind of like a long, I don't know, pumpkin-tasting thing. They're pretty tasty. But, I mean, we never would have grown, you know... 100 plus pounds of squash in our little backyard. It's definitely something homesteading has allowed us to do is just let the squash plant do what they want. Yeah, I remember growing beets for the first time and previously never bought beets or had any beets ever until we started growing it. And now we, you know, we grow beets all the time. But then also homegrown vegetables taste so much better. I remember having beets when I was a kid. And I'm like, man, this is gross. Now I We'll grow the beets and like, these are delicious. It's my favorite sweet tasting dirt plant. Or I got another one, uh, quail. Where do you even buy quail if you wanted to even eat it? I don't know. I I don't even know a farm that sells it. There's been a lot of people uh, we've known that do quail that have tried to convince us to do quail. And then we tell them, it's like, you realize we have like, you know, a whole horde (laughs) of hungry children. I'm going to have to do a dozen quail if we're going to eat quail that night, just so everybody can, you know, eat their fill. And once we tell them that, they're like, oh, yeah, that's that's not very cost effective. Yeah, we had a 10. I think we had 10 quail. They all fit in, like, one of those big Ziploc bags. (laughs) And I cooked them, threw them all in the barbecue all at one time and cooked them and ate them all in one meal. They're good, but... It's a lot of work for one one meal. We used to raise rabbits, and I think that was to me that was the same thing. Like rabbit, there's not a lot of meat on a rabbit. We'd get 
just three of us and one rabbit would feed the three of us without any leftovers. So I was like, no, I'll go back to the chickens. There's a lot more meat. Did you like the rabbit? Did you like it? Taste-wise, yeah, texture wasn't bad, but the texture is different than chicken kind of thing. You know, when I had my office job, there was this older lady that would come in and she would cook rabbit. I think, I'm pretty sure she raised rabbit, but she would cook rabbit in the lunch break room and it would smell up the whole office and it stunk so bad. Like, uh, that put me off of rabbit. I, that's probably one of the reasons why we don't raise rabbit <laughs> because of that, because I still remember the smell and everybody used to complain, like, what are you doing? Like, you're smoking out the whole office and it smells like rabbit. Like, and so I, ever since that, I've never wanted to try it. Never want, I don't even want to eat it. I like rabbit. I tell you, it's the strangest kind of like thing we've eaten. The strangest thing that we've eaten is beaver. I don't know if anybody else has ever tried beaver, but we mm. had a bunch of beavers. We trapped them. So I remember reading that that's what, like, the people settling the West, that's what they lived off of was beaver. So. I was like, yep, we have to. What did that taste like? What did that taste like? It tasted like pot roast with the texture of rabbit. That makes sense. Yeah, I, I did you have actually, it like a crock pot? Yeah. With crock I pot. very much would like to try beaver. Um, I don't know if I should admit this publicly, but I think I'm going to. <laughs> <laughs> so we we practice <laughs> yeah we there's going to be a lot of really disgusted people but bear with me uh i try to practice <laughs> I, I try to practice if you're going to kill it you're going to eat it and you know that's that's true for the kids and that's true for me well when we moved in we've got a lot of groundhogs around here and they'll destroy your garden and they'll just, you know, live under your house and stuff like that. And anybody, you know, if you know anything about groundhogs, they're completely vegan. All they eat is your plants. They, uh, they're just, you know, they're, they're like a cow. Well, I shot me a big old fat groundhog and I brought him up here and cleaned him, threw him in a pot with some onions and carrots and celery and Boiled him until I pulled out the entire skeleton, and then we made tacos out of that meat. It tastes like beef. Like, the entire animal tastes like yep. beef. Absolutely delicious. And, like, to the point where there was one family, I don't know if they listened, but they were here during that saga, and we told them, and they were horrified. And then we broke out the leftovers and said, would you like a taco? And they tasted it, and they were—they actually agreed. They're like, "This, this actually tastes like shredded beef. Like, this is delicious." So, yeah, groundhogs are what on the menu around like? here. Uh, similar to like, if you if you like cooked a pot roast down to where it was just shredding, falling apart. Uh, I would put it similar to chicken, similar to chicken in the texture. Or Meg says goat, okay. similar to goat. That's another good one. I love goat. Gina would never let me have any of our goats. <laughs> Always wanted to really? try them, but she was like, nope, we can't have any. So That's different we'll if you're some. doing your animals that you love. But do like us, we bought some, some sheep from a, a friend. I had no emotional attachment to them, and they lived here for about a week before they went in the freezer, and they are superb. I love I love me some sheep. That reminds me of one of the first first times we when we first moved to North Carolina, 
we got invited, I don't know, we probably had been here maybe six months, and we got invited to a potluck. When we arrived, everyone had their dish that they brought, and they everyone had like a card that they'd write and tell you what it is. And it said, Roadkill Squirrel <laughs> on one of the, it was a crock pot. And I was like, what is this? Someone explain. <laughs> and uh, one of my friends that I had met, he's like, oh, this happened just today. I ran over this squirrel and I just threw it in a, a crock pot. And, uh, but you would never know it's in a crock pot. Oh, that's and, hilarious. And it was all shredded. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going to try it, you know? And I, I tried it and you, you would never know. Like it just tastes like beef. If he didn't say what it was, I wouldn't know. So assuming that that was right. And then, uh, I think I followed him on Instagram right after that. And sure enough, uh, he posted on Instagram, a dead squirrel. <laughs> and he says, I'm going to cook this up. <laughs> That's hilarious. Like, well, we're not in California anymore. You know, I will say, uh, the trick to eating game that I've found is if you don't let it sit around and get old, you treat it just like you would when you're butchering a chicken or a pig or a cow or anything like you kill it and then immediately process it. Uh, there's no gaminess like that's how it is like you know i've i've gotten rabbit and stuff like that that i took too long you know it sat around while i was doing something else then by the time i finally got to it it had a funk to it well that's you know when you let it sit around too long i think a lot of people are turned off by game the gaminess of meat from you know wild game and stuff like that Uh, it's probably because they didn't have it quickly prepared and as fresh as possible by the time it got cooked. So, I mean, there is that. I guess that's something I've learned from homesteading is, you know, if you're very efficient from uh, hoof to plate with your time, uh, you can have some really tasty meat. I think key too, though, is letting letting the meat hang after you clean it all out and everything for the proper amount of time for the kind of animal. Yes. I think I don't know if yes. a lot of people are able to hang deer depending on the season. But I think a lot of times, too, if you can hang your deer or whatever game you're hunting, I think that helps, too, with some of that gaminess. Yeah, if it's something like a deer or a cow, hanging is an absolute must. Like, you have to do that. Otherwise, it's just going to taste bloody. I know. So the people are listening. They're either really hungry or really uh, disgusted <laughs> by today's talk. <laughs> Hopefully, they're really hungry. And I hope. I hope they're going to try something new this week, and I want to know what they're going to try. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah, if you're yeah, if you're watching us on YouTube, leave a comment and tell us some uh, crazy uh, things you've ate. Yeah, and <laughs> don't make me regret telling the story about the groundhog. Went for a trail ride, and we found some more signs of beaver. So if you want to have some beaver, we might be trapping some shortly. So. Yeah, I want a catch, clean, and cook video, Al. Right. Beaver. <laughs> 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 what if you could make jerky out of it that'd be a pretty good way to deal with you know trapping take your animals and turn them into jerky now do you let your pigs hang at all then before you cut them up so i this is just a personal preference um i like the meat chilled when i'm cutting um i don't notice a difference in taste uh 
if it's hung for a little bit or whatnot. Um, I just don't like cutting when the meat is still hot. Um, it's easier to cut when it's cold. Uh, but as far as hanging, I'll hang it overnight. I like to kill, you know, one day, hang it up overnight in a nice cool place if it's cool enough. Um, and then, you know, do all the cutting the next day. I guess, I guess that's the answer. Yeah. I like, I, I do hang my pork for at least 24 hours. Hung it, or we usually hang it for 24 hours. We have in the past tried cutting it right away. It's a pain, but we also found it was very tough. That those cuts of pork, if we cut it up right away and didn't let like it eating hang. it's tough, the meat was really tough. Yep, oh, that's because that rigor mortis didn't get chill. to run its course. It wasn't, yeah, I think the weather was funky that year. It wasn't cooling off at night, so we were just like, you know what, let's just cut it up and get it in the freezer. And we should have let it sit at least in the fridge before we froze it because that was definitely some tough pork. Yeah, I think one thing I did try, we did try this year for the first, well, first time cooking it, I've, I've tried it before, but it's a beef tongue. Um, that came out really good. Like that's my favorite. It was amazing. I mean, w once you cook it, it's just like a a big piece of meat. That's all it is. It it doesn't. I mean, there's no. Once you get past of it looking like a tongue, or you can chop it up, you know, it, then it's just a big piece of meat. Same I mean, it was as the regular beef or different. Yeah, I mean, like muscle. Like it wasn't. It was. You know, it's very not so much fat on it at all, but. I'd yeah, say, it was just very dense. I'd say once you peel it and cook it, it's similar to eating tenderloin. It's just like a real even keel muscle. Yeah, it's all mental, man. You right. gotta just get past that part, and you're like, "Oh, right, I'm good." You know, just throw it in a corn tortilla, and you're done. <laughs> those used to probably be the delicacies back in the day because it's just small amounts of all those little cuts. So that's probably what everybody was looking for. I'm looking forward to this this fall. I, I would say probably. Once or twice a day, Meg will just look at me and goes, hey, I get a tongue, I get this, I get that. You know, there's all the, the day one stuff that you have to deal with, like the tongue and the heart and the liver. All that's, all that's the stuff you have to deal with the day you butcher. Well, there's some really tasty stuff you can do with those cuts. Like, I really, really like pickled tongue. Pickled tongue is absolutely amazing. Uh, and so... Yeah, we're probably going to pickle some tongue this year, but it's an exciting time of year if you love food. Yes, hey, you guys are going to be busy too. Yeah, last year in December, we ate all of our favorite meals and uh, we were kind of burned out by the end of December. It was like, that was kind of a lot of eating. Well, this year, now it's going to be the entire last <laughs> quarter of the year. It's going to be <laughs> pigs and chickens and cow and more pigs and yeah. It's going to be a busy last quarter. You should get on the scale now and see how much weight you gain <laughs> by the end of the season. You'll have some nice soft hands by the time you're all done pig butchering. You're going to have like the moistest hands in the neighborhood. Yeah. <laughs> all that pig fat. Funny. Yeah, so yeah, we're almost to 20 episodes, which is pretty amazing. So I appreciate everyone um, watching these podcasts and everyone listening. Much appreciated. And if you give us a review on iTunes... Uh, or, you know, just share our podcast with others. And uh, we greatly appreciate that too. But thank you so much. I hope everyone has an awesome week. And we'll see you guys next week. See you guys next week. Catch you later.